0: Judges, chapter number fifteen. Book of Judges, chapter number fifteen. Thank you, brother Howard, for your ministry to us tonight, and uh, always a blessing. Those that use their gifts and talents and play the instruments, uh, we're blessed at our church. We have uh, two. Why? What would you call them? Flautists. Amen. The two ladies that play the flute, and uh, that's a blessing. A lady that plays the piano. Another young lady that plays the trumpet. And uh, it's a blessing to hear those instruments when they're played right. When it's not, it can be miserable. Amen. We have one one lady that oh, what is it? the 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 oboe. That's a cruel instrument when you hit the wrong notes. I could tell you that. Uh, I I think oh bow, you know, but that's not good. Amen. Uh, But it's a blessing, appreciate that, and good to be with you, and had such a great time. Man, we had a, Brother Paul was just sitting up here, we're talking, and if you didn't get to go this year uh, to the men's uh, retreat, uh, I don't know, Pastor talked about doing another one here in in 24 months, and uh, I, I sure hope you'll consider going you ought to talk to some of the men that went we just we had fun and we we picked on each other and but we we had a great time that that last uh pontoon boat was just so much fun and and uh, the guy i was the only one that didn't come ready to swim uh, the truth is I was actually ready to drive the boat after everybody got out, you know, brrr, and head, head to shore there. But uh, uh, we just had so much fun. And, and again, Brother Neil, thank you for doing all the driving. And uh, we had just a little bit of issue with the bus. And it was funny because I said, one of the things I said was, you know, it's good to get out of technology's grip. You know, every once in a while, turn the phone off and turn the TV. And the only time we were out of technology's grip, Tex, was when we needed it was because the bus was broke down and we were completely out of a cell area. Everybody's trying to get service on their cell. But the Lord worked it out and fixed it. And uh, praise the Lord. Judges chapter 15. And uh, Brother Burkholz, good to see you, man. Amen. And uh, Brother Burkholz and I are, uh, we're, we're members of an exclusive fraternity. Amen. And uh, that is, we're in a preacher group. Uh, we see each other online, and uh, we, we don't get to physically interact with each other very often. So good to see you tonight, my brother. And I look forward to a little fellowship with you afterwards. Judges 15. And uh, boy, I'd like to read the whole chapter, but I think what we'll do is uh, um, we'll we'll start down at verse 14 and just read down to the end and out. We'll we'll go through the, the thought tonight and Judges chapter 14, or I'm sorry, Judges 16 verses 14 through 19 says, and when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. You know, the spirit of the Lord is better than the shout of the world. Amen. (laughs) You think about it there. It says, And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands were loosed off his hand. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. Incredible. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Next two words, church. Let's say them together. But God, but God, clave in hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water thereout And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore, he called the name thereof Enhakkori, which is Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. Father, bless your word to our hearts now. Lord, help me as I try to communicate this truth tonight. Lord, it's such an important truth for us to learn, and Lord, just pray you'd you'd help and use your word. May I uh, handle your word properly, and Lord, uh, bless the pastor and Brother Butler and Sonny as they travel. We pray that you keep them safe, and Lord, uh, just to help him to know that everything's all right here at Harvest Baptist. Lord, we ask that you would bless him. take this message and make it one message for many hearts. Lord, help those that need help. Convict those that need conviction. We'll thank you for all that you do. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. I love that little phrase, but God. It's throughout the word of God. You can look and I, I, I think of some right away that just always come to mind. I, I think of when Joseph Uh, Joseph's brothers (laughs) after Joseph had taken care of him and been such a blessing to him well then then Jacob died and they figured well our goose is cooked you know he's finally going to give us what we deserve and by the way what they did deserve it (laughs) and you know what Joseph said to him he said as for you Genesis 50 20 you meant evil against me but God meant it for good and then I think, of course, just in my own life, my own testimony, getting saved at 23 years old out of a very wicked lifestyle, rock and roll background, I, I think about uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and you being dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened together. And, and it talks about how we all had our conversation in time past and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and, and it goes on, and then it says, but God, who is rich In mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us. Amen. I'm I'm so thankful for the, I call it the divine conjunction. The divine conjunction. I'm so glad for the divine conjunctions in the Bible. There's there's many. And we saw one tonight here in our our text, and we'll, we'll get back to it. But if you know the life of Samson, it's really from Judges 13 to uh Judges 16. If you'll go back with me to Judges chapter 13, we'll just look a little bit by way of introduction. He really is a remarkable character uh in the Bible. His his life is a bit of a paradox if you think about it. Samson is when when you think about the great power but and yet the the strange spiritual contrast. First of all, his life starts out with a promise that was remarkable. A promise that was remarkable. Verses two through five, we see his parents, and there's uh, a barrenness. Verse two. Zora's wife, uh, I'm sorry, Manoah's wife, uh is barren. She she can't have any children. And so there's the barrenness. But then in verse three it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. So here's somebody that was barren. And now uh, we have the birth, amen? Uh, I think about uh, uh, folks that served here. Uh, Many of you remember Tim and Ann Lee. Uh, Boy, it's a blessing. They got little ones all over the place, amen? And uh, they were married, I think, 16 or 17 years before God gave them children. Carrie and I uh, were married for 12, and so uh, barrenness and birth. But then there's blessing in verses 4 and 5. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. You can go back in your own time uh, in Numbers chapter 6 and look up the Nazarite vow. The blessing was this this, uh, one that was going to be born was going to be set apart for the service of God. So... There's a promise that was remarkable. And then I believe if you look through, and we don't have time to read all these verses, but if you look through chapter 13, verse 24, to chapter 14, verse 3, you'll find not only a promise that was remarkable, but I believe you'll find parents that were reverent. Parents that were reverent. In, in other words, uh, listen, they obeyed Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. They, they taught their child the Word of God. And, and we could say it this way, Samson was raised right. Boy, it's still okay to say amen to that, by the way. Still okay for parents to be reverent and say, you know what, we don't do some things. and well, Maybe we do do a lot of other things, or we don't do this, we don't do that. It's okay to have some reverence. It's okay that the Word of God has a more important place in your home than the television. Amen? So promise that was remarkable, parents that were reverent. And I think we all know about Samson, including the text that we read. He had a power that was rare. He had a power that was rare. You can read over and over, uh, chapter 13, verse 25, chapter 14, verse 6, chapter 14, verse 19, chapter 15, verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Samson performed incredible acts... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, I, we're, my family and I were out to uh, dinner. I believe it was last Sunday, and uh, we were at a place called Bob Evans in the Midwest. just a good uh, country type place and, and uh, American fare. We're sitting, uh, Brother Craig, next to a family that had little ones, and it was such a blessing to me. Uh, they, they, they had uh, their their little ones were probably like two and maybe four, and uh, they said they were just talking and said, "Who?" They were doing trivia. They said, who's God's strong man? And I was over there in the corner and they saw me. And I went like, of course, I was dressed for church. I went like this, Brother Paul. I went, oh, oh, I know this one. I know this one. Amen. (laughs) And uh, I heard him say Samson. But you know what? I don't think Samson was some muscle-bound, super, matter of fact, I think he was real, plain, and ordinary looking Because it wouldn't be a big deal if some super strong man did these acts. But it would be a real big deal if some plain person, through the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, did that. Amen. So he had a power that was rare. He had parents that were reverent. He had a promise that was remarkable. But you know what? He had problems that were reoccurring, didn't he? If you know the story of Samson, he had problems that were reoccurring. Over and over and over, he was plagued by immoral women. That was his uh, besetting sin, I guess we could say. He was plagued by irreverence. If you read about the Nazarite vow, I submit to you, if you'll read the scriptures, I believe he broke every prohibition of the Nazarite vow. And not only irreverence and immorality, but really independence one of the saddest statements in the Bible, after Samson tells Delilah of his great strength and she cuts his hair, he, sa- he says, I'll go and shake myself out as, as other times. I can just do what I've done before, Howbeit, he knew not that the Spirit had departed from him. So... He had problems that were reoccurring, he, immoral women in irreverence and independence, power that was rare, parents who were reverent, a promise that was remarkable. But can I tell you something? I love this. I love this. He had a positive that was remembered. You say, what do you mean by that? You know, the last recorded mention of Samson is in Hebrews chapter 11. And you veteran Christians, what's Hebrews chapter 11? It's the hall of what? Faith. And so, in the end, the last recorded words in the Bible about him, God didn't remember Samson's failures, but he did remember his faith. Aren't you glad? I tell you what, that does something for me. Because I've got plenty of failures that I remember. And in the end, it's my faith that really matters. Amen. And so it's such a blessing as you look here. Well, if you go down and you look at chapter 14, and again, I'm moving through this because I really want to get to the guts of the message here tonight. You look at <clears throat> the request of Samson in verses 1 through 4 and then the rending of Samson he rends the lion in verses 5 through 9 the relationship of Samson verse 10 the riddle of Samson verses 11 through 18 and then the revenge of Samson when he he sets the fields on fire and God used Samson as a uh, uh, an instrument of vengeance against the Philistines so we know what happens here at the end in, in chapter 15. There's a, a great slaughter and a Samson slays a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And that must have been something. You know, these Philistines keep coming and, poof, poof, you know, just a thousand of them. And, it ha- and he gets all the way done. And it says there in verse number 18 of chapter 15, And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said thou hast given the great deliverance to the hand of thy servant and now uh, shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised he he's at the point of death and he calls upon God and says God this isn't like you this isn't like you to you know uh, allow such a great victory and then allow your name to be mud by letting me die here out in the wilderness and what happens it, it, it's so interesting God takes something that he threw away. Hmm? Didn't he? He took the jawbone, he tossed it down. He takes something that he threw away and it says in verse 19, but God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water there out. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again and he revived. I mean, just amazing. I don't know about you, I, I was blessed to grow up on a mountain in Westfield, Massachusetts. My parents moved there in the uh, mid-70s and uh, they carved out this beautiful neighborhood, about 200 houses or so, and I think it's a few more now, but uh, we, we used to go, Brother Neal, and play uh, back there in the woods and there was a mountain stream. I, it came down a mountain spring and you could take a cup and put it right in there and it wouldn't be dirty and it wouldn't be mucky or anything. You could literally just, so good, you know, cool drink. But I've never seen the skeleton of a donkey that had cool water in it. But God. You know what I call this? I call this the divine conjunction of provision. Provision. I mean, God provides. I, I want you to notice some, some things about this provision for Samson, and also we could apply it into our lives as his children. First of all, and I like this, many times God's provision in our lives is, number one, unusual. It's unusual. You look there at, uh, at fit, verse 15, verse 19. I could think of another time in the Bible where God provided in an extremely unusual way. You want to go with me? You're in Judges here. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Here Elijah comes on the scene and he points his finger at Ahab and says, it's not going to rain until I say. And then God tells him to skedaddle. Get to the brook Cherith. 1 Kings chapter 17. He says there in verse number two, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Okay. Drinking of the brook, no problem. Amen? Pretty pretty standard provision. We know the brook dried up and God moved him, but bread and flesh from a raven, that's unusual. I live on a country road. You know what? You know what's on the side of country roads? Mailboxes. Amen. There's lots of them. People. You know what else a lot on the side of a lot of country roads? Dead animals. Lots of them. Deer, possums, raccoon. You know, we'll be sometimes taking a walk and I'll I'll see one. I'll be walking with my daughter's son and say, okay, let's go to the other side of the street there. But you know what the ravens do to those animals? They pick them clean. They're scavenger birds, aren't they? That's what ravens are. Hey, I think it'd be pretty unusual for a raven to have meat and bread in his beak and not be eating it. Can you imagine two two ravens flying towards Elijah and one of them going, I can't believe this. We got I can't believe it. I got, we got to bring this bread and flesh to the prophet down there, and we can't even eat it. I can't believe it. That'd be, that's pretty unusual. You know, I've learned through the years that God has provided for my needs in several unusual ways. I remember being at Bible college all these years ago, and we, we needed $450 to, for our first rent Uh, I mentioned the house that we lived in this morning we lived there was only three houses on this road and it was a half mile or uh, three quarters of a mile from campus and three quarters of a mile uh, from the church and and we we really really want to stay there but I had just got a job and we just didn't have any money and would you would you know it over a thousand dollars came in the mail for us I had gotten like a, a 401k check that I didn't know was coming and, and all. It was just amazing how, God, and I tell you that over and over and over, God provided in an unusual way. And you know what? He'll provide in an unusual way for you too. By the way, you know what the key to that provision was? God told him to do something and he did it. God always attaches blessings to obedience. Always, always. So God's provision many times is unusual. I like this one. God's provision is unruffled. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6, and I'll tell you what I mean by that here. Matthew chapter 6. Many times we get ruffled about whether God is going to provide or not, don't we? I think Samson did in this text. Hey, I'm getting ready to die here. You know, you can do something about it. But God, when it comes to God's provision, he's unruffled. He's unruffled. And if you look at uh, chapter 6 of Matthew, and verse, really verse 25 through 32, this is such a great passage. He said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat in the body, more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? It's a rhetorical question. He asks several of them here. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Of course. Are ye not much better than they? Of course. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to your stature? Nobody can. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, because of that, because of God's provision, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? The answer to that is yes. Yes, he will. Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we close? For after all these things to the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. I think of the verse 26 says, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think it must be. They have no heavenly father such so as cares for you and me. Well, we're that way, aren't we? We, we get ruffled about God's provision. I wonder uh, uh, what's, what's going to happen. We go from ruffle to worry, don't we? Now I know you don't worry. You get concerned which is a Christian word for worry, amen? <laughs> but you know who's not ruffled at all? God. He's, not unru- he, he's unruffled when it comes to provision. He is your heavenly father. And just, I tell you, being a dad changes you. Doesn't it, Brother Keith? It changes you. Talk about how you want to provide for your children, how you want to take care of their needs and all that. And God's a whole lot better father than any of us. Your heavenly father knoweth that you have. So his provision is unusual. It's unruffled. He oh, By the way, he had already claved a hollow place in that jaw, already had the provision all taken care of. Amen? Number three, God's provision sometimes is unclear. Unclear. Samson didn't know there was a hollow place cut out of the jaw, did he? He didn't know. You know, I think about that in our lives. Many times, God's provision in our life is unclear. But we walk by faith and not by sight. Remember the story of Abraham Isaac going up the mountain to Moriah? And uh, Abraham said to the men, he said, He said, uh, you guys stay here. I and the lad will go and worship yonder and we'll be back. We'll be back. And then as they were walking, Isaac said, look, we got fire, we got wood. Where's the lamb? You know what Abraham said? God will provide himself a lamb, son. And as Abraham raised the knife to plunge it into Isaac, and by the way, you got to read Hebrews chapter 11 if you really want the, the total breadth of the story because Hebrews 11 said he realized that God had promised him that through Isaac, his seed would be as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky, and he literally thought if he plunged that knife in, God would be obligated to raise him from the dead. That's faith right there. He said, God will provide himself a lamb. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I, Lord. And he looked, and there was a ram caught in the thicket over there. Sometimes God's provision is unclear. Unclear, unruffled, unusual. Huh. Sometimes God's provision is what I call unbecoming. <laughs> unbecoming. Listen, taking water out of a dried out jawbone of a donkey, that's a little unbecoming. Amen? I, I, where's my bottle? There it is, right there. Amen. I, I'd rather I'd rather have this, <laughs> right? You know, I know uh, Brother Keith's a doctor, and I think about God's illustration of the body in First Corinthians chapter twelve, and it talks about how all the body, all the parts in the body, are necessary. Uh, God God doesn't give us any vestigial organs, amen. They're all built and designed for a purpose and and I think about I have uh I have a kidney disease called Berger's disease. I didn't know what that was and and uh found out probably about 10 10 11 years ago. It's called IgA nephropathy, certain types of things that your kidneys don't filter and they can build up and back up and if you you know, don't do the prescribed things, it can lead to dialysis eventually. And so, you know, you got to watch your sodium and protein and all that. But I, I'll tell you this, I, I saw, I saw uh, a picture of a kidney. It, I'm glad I got put it on the inside. That's pretty ugly. My wife had her gallbladder out after Luke was born. Uh, she, even when we were here, she had terrible gallstones, just terrible. Though, those I guess they told me everybody has gallstones, but the problem is when they release into the duct, and the duct's trying to do its work on a jagged piece of stone, and uh, my wife would just roll and foam and all that. So she, she had to get her gallbladder out. And I remember the man showed me a picture of it, and the doctor, he came in. He said, well, Mr. Zavadsky he said, uh, you know, here's the this, and I, I'm looking at it like, I don't even know where you're pointing to, amen? It's like, he said, well, your wife had a very angry gallbladder and it's a good thing we got it out because she would have had pancreatitis and all this. I remember looking at it and said, boy, that's pretty unbecoming looking, pretty, pretty. (laughs) You know, you think of God's provision right now in your life, in your body, all that God is providing for you through all those unbecoming, forgive me, those ugly things on the inside, that are doing their job, your liver, your kidneys, your circulatory system, your heart, all pretty unbecoming, all God's provision in our lives. Your lungs, taking in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide, it's pretty unbecoming. There's, there's nothing real, wow, that look at that, how beautiful that is, no, nope. it's pretty unbecoming. And many times God's provision can be in unbecoming things. I just think of that like just regular things. My dad went to work every day at a machine shop for 35 years, and I asked him about it one time. I said, Dad, I said, Did you like that job? He said, I hated it. I said, Really? I said, Yep. He said, But I made some commitments to you and to your mother and to the mortgage company. And so you know what? You know what, how God provided for him in a pretty, pretty regular, unbecoming kind of way? Gave him a paycheck every week, paid off the house, took care of the bills, and all God's people said. Many times God's provision is in an unbecoming way. I like it when God's provision is not only unusual and unruffled and unclear and unbecoming, but unexplainable. I love it when that happens, Brother Lucio. God's provision is unexplainable. Later in 1 Kings, we won't go there, but uh, God, uh, the, the brook dries up and God directs uh, Elijah to go to Zarephath and it's famine. And he, he says, I've commanded a widow woman to feed you. That's the whole key to the text. Uh, Brother Burkholz, I read that text uh, sometimes and I thought, well, here he comes and he walks right up to this widow woman and says, you know, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm just gathering a couple sticks to make a meal for my son and then we're gonna die. And he says, well, give me some first. And if you read it that way, you're kind of like, what a selfish jerk. But that's not it. God had already told her and God had already talked to her and said, the man of God is coming. I've commanded you to feed him. And and I love what Elijah says, go and do what you're going to do. He said, "Just, just do me this, do this first and watch God bless. And he says, the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil will fail not according to the word of the Lord. And again, going back to that matter of obedience, she went and did what the word of the Lord said. And you know what? For the entire famine, they had a cruise of oil and a barrel of meal, and neither one ran out. Say, that's unexplainable. I agree. I agree. One. 100%. You can't explain it. God did it. God did it. And I, I happen to believe, Brother Howard, I, I don't think it was that they were overflowing to the top. I think maybe that, maybe that barrel or that cruise of oil was, you know, so, and, and they, they just dipped a little scooper in there each day. And whoa, look at that. There's a little bit for today. Because God said, give us this day our daily bread. Amazing. Unexplainable. I love it when God's provision is undeniable. It's undeniable. Think about this time here in in the book of Judges where it was absolutely undeniable that God provided, uh, that clave out that hollow place. When I think of God's provision being undeniable, I think of the New Testament. I think of the feeding of the 5,000. It was absolutely undeniable. I'm in a series right now on John, 23 messages in John, and the miracles in John are specifically given that men might believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's what they're for. It's their purpose in the canon of the New Testament. And you know, when you feed 5,000 men, probably 25,000 people with five little loaves, and I'm not talking about big Italian loaves, amen, I'm talking about five little flatbread pita sandwiches and two, it says, small fishes. We have a little pond on our property and somebody said, you got fish in there? I said, yeah, the biggest one's about that big, amen? (laughs) Look like a guppy. Small fishes. Five loaves and two small fishes fed 25,000 people. The Bible says they were all filled. And then they they collected up 12 baskets full left over. You know what that is, Miss D? Undeniable. Undeniable, the provision of God. You know, when I think about it in my own life, and I think about God's provision, I think about particularly God's provision for Israel. You can read Psalm 78, verses 19 through 52. God's provision for me is undeserving. Uh. My, my life verse is Luke one thirty seven. Love that verse. I, I, I was Years ago, I was duking it out, Brother Chris, between Luke one thirty seven and 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. That's a good one, too. But I'll tell you, there's one that's really been in my heart the last five years, and it's 1 Peter 3.18. talks about how Christ died the just for the unjust. You know why? I'm undeserving of his provision. But that doesn't bother him one bit when it comes to providing for me. So God's provision, this divine conjunction, it's unusual, unruffled, unclear, unbecoming, unexplainable, undeniable, undeserving. Let me give you some applications and illustrations and we'll be done. First of all, God's provision is universal. First application, God's provision is universal. When I think of that, I think of the verse that the Calvinists loathe. And again, I'm not against... I know some Calvinists that are just wonderful people, but I think about 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God's provision is universal. He has provided a way. Men do not believe on him. That's why they die and go to hell. But you know what else when I think of his provision? I think of it rains on the just and the unjust. You know, the lost farmer's fields get rain, and so do the saved farmer's fields. The lost man is breathing God's oxygen right now, so is the saved man. So God's provision is universal. God's provision is rooted in His character. We read Matthew 6.32, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. If God has promised to provide our needs, not our wants, but our needs, then He will do it. It's rooted in His character. God's provision is universal. It's rooted in His character. God's provision should build our trust in Him. That's, where, that's what uh, the book of Matthew was getting at, saying, look at the birds, look at the fowls, look at the flowers. Look how God takes care of them. Don't you think that He'll take care of you that are made in His image? Yes, yes, and yes. God's provision, by the way, God's provision in our life that we have already experienced should cause us to trust Him more. God's provision should build our trust in Him. God's provision, again, is often tied to obedience. God says, Do. And I'll provide. So what do we do? We do not. And then curse God for not providing. Huh? God's provision is tied to obedience. Remember the the story when Jesus turned the water into wine? And uh, Mary said to the servants, it's a great statement, John 2, 5 said, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Do it. And sure enough, Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And Brother Craig, they didn't say, well, why do we have to fill the water pots with water? I mean, that's a lot of work. These, these things are heavy. we got to go down and fill them with water. You, you look through the Gospel of John. It's interesting, again, going to those miracles. Whenever they, they did a miracle, Jesus always asked man to do the possible before he did the impossible. I just finished with John chapter 11. And uh, he, he said, uh, Brother Tex, he said to, to Martha, he said, roll away the stone. She said, oh, Lord, Ugh. he's been in there four days. He stinks by now. You don't want to roll away the stone. And again, I, I don't want to add to the word of God. Uh, but you can almost see uh, Brother Howard it just him sighing, going, didn't I tell you if you just do what I said? You'd see the glory of God, and then they rolled away the stone, and Jesus just happened to raise somebody from the dead. Amen? Amen? God's provision is often tied to obedience. Can I tell you, God's provision needs to be appropriated. You know, we had a couple here that was baptized this morning. What a blessing that was, amen? Mom and a son, but her husband was here too, and uh, he he was... Glued in during the service, which is great, and I'm sure within the coming weeks we're going to hear of Dave getting saved. Amen. But you know what? For anybody to get saved, God God has made provision for all to be saved. But He said to us, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house." You have to appropriate God's provision. There's a story told. Of a preacher. And uh, this was back in the days of circuit riding preachers. So that'll tell you way before cars and uh, way before these guys would get, go out on horses and they would preach, uh, you know, for a month or two and they'd hit seven or eight churches, one every Sunday, Brother Tim, and they'd ride to the next one and they, they'd go on. And this one in particular was just, this preacher was I'm going to go to just one church and come back, but his wife was very ill, very ill. And he thought, well, I don't know if I should go. And his wife encouraged him to go. His wife said, Listen, go. I'll be all right. You know, it's just, I don't need, I, you know, you know how, listen, if it was the other way around, the, da, the, the guys would say, Please don't go. Amen. <laughs> I saw a friend of mine posted, it said, you know, when women have babies, they finally know what it's like for men to have fevers. Amen? (laughs) I like that one. But he he said, she she said, no, she said, you need to go, you need need to go, you told them you'd go, and, and God wants you to go, and they had a little son at the time, and he was still wrestling with it, and the little boy piped up, and he said, Father... Don't you think if God wants you to preach today, He will take care of mother while you're away? Pretty convicting. Kids are like that, aren't they? Amen. And the dear lady recovered. And the man preached, and several were saved. And the dear lady recovered, and she wrote of that account and it's in your hymnal brother brother Howard would you come to the piano and we'll close our service here with this great hymn by Sevilla Martin was her name page number 180 be not dismayed whate'er betide God will take care of you beneath his wings of love abide God will take care of you. Page 180, stand with me. The altar's open if you'd like to come. Maybe you just forgot about God's provision. Maybe you just want to thank God for His provision in your life. God will take care of you, God will meet your needs. I don't know how He's going to do it. That's all right. You don't need to know how, you just need to know He will. Sometimes it's unclear, sometimes it's unusual. I love it when it's unexplainable or undeniable. We're all undeserving of it, but it's promised. God will take care of you. You have a heavenly Father tonight. Let's sing it out. Page number 180 on that first verse now.